Hello, I'm Riley Wilson, and welcome to the Band of One podcast. This podcast is created to help anyone that wants to be a more successful solo performer or become a solo performer and avoid a lot of the pratfalls and mistakes myself and some of my contemporaries have made. I have over 50 years of live performance experience and will also include tips from other top pros worldwide who've done the same thing in their regions. My desire is to make this actionable as well as entertaining. If you like what we do, subscribe and don't forget to share it. Let's get busy. Okay, who am I and why am I talking to you about being a solo performer? A little background. I've been a guitar teacher and a live performer, and I'm also a voice talent and have been doing these things for many, many years. A little background, I got started playing guitar when I was 10 years of age. My dad played the guitar and uh, had a Martin guitar that he would play and sing country songs to my mother about. Saw my dad do that, and I thought that's something that I would like to do. So I started playing when I was 10. I took lessons for about three months and really wasn't getting a lot out of it and found out that I could really teach myself. So I did that badly for many, many years, but I was able to start working in bands by the time I was 13 years old and actually making money at it probably by my senior year of high school, which I still do. After high school, I worked with bands uh, in the Carolinas, uh, really played all over the country at some point. Uh, The only part that I really not played would be the Pacific Northwest and uh, probably the Northeast, everywhere else pretty much we've been. Anyway, long story short, I've enjoyed playing guitar and teaching it for many, many years. And I thought that it's particularly now that I've been doing this really since the 1972, I guess, I wanted to start giving back and I wanted to share some of the things that I've learned that I think perhaps would help you as a solo performer. Now, I have to make some assumptions here. I have to assume, number one, that you either are a solo performer or you'd like to become a solo performer. And uh, this also would work well for folks that are in smaller groups like a duo or even a trio, and I've got experience with that as well. But I think the big thing about becoming a solo performer is, first of all, deciding if it's something that you want to do. I got into playing solo gigs actually fairly late in my career. Probably 1994, my wife and my family and I were still living in North Carolina. I was teaching probably 40 or 50 guitar students a week and playing gigs with, at that point, a trio. And a guitar teacher in town that I really didn't know very well asked me to come join him at an Italian restaurant to back up the owner who fancied himself a singer. And so I sat down and did a rehearsal with him. We went over there and played. And I found out that actually I could play solo gigs. It was terrifying at first because I'm standing in front of a table with an ovation guitar wrapped around my neck, singing and playing. And I'd never really done that without the support of a band around me. So the first A couple of times I did that, it was a little unnerving, but eventually I got over it. And I found out that there was a lot of freedom in performing solo. We'll talk about the advantages of that a little bit later. Anyway, my family and I moved to Frisco, Texas in July of 1996, where we still are. I put together quickly a duo and a trio with some of my friends that I had known for many, many years. And we kept the trio around till probably 2010 and the duo till probably 2014. And it became obvious to me the longer that I continue to do those groups as well as my solo act, that the solo act was in fact making the most progress. It was certainly more bookable. And the great thing about performing solo is that I didn't have to call someone else and say, hey, can you play this gig at such and such a time and such and such a day? I could make a decision instantly about a gig. And I found out that Being a rapid responder, which is one of many awards I've won on 
both Gig Salad and also what used to be Gig Masters, it's now The Bash, it's really helped me out because there have been a lot of times that somebody could hear what I do or see a video and click on it, say, hey, this is what we're looking for, and hire me immediately. And that's helped a lot in, in my career to, to, to be busy. I should say at this point that one of my goals as a performer is to be busy. Um, I like to perform um, even at my age now, um, 67 as of the recording of this first podcast. So I've been doing this for a while. I still enjoy doing it. And I plan to continue to do it as long as it's fun. And so because of these reasons, it was necessary for me to be able to do something that I could hone and work at and get better and better at over a period of time. I think as we talk with some of my friends that have also been doing this for a period of of years, uh, and we'll introduce you to some of the, the best solo players that I know across the country, You'll find that I think that they have that similar drive, and and many of them may have a similar background, but we'll find that out later on. My experience, as I said, I'd been in bands for years. I started playing solo, and one of the things that I had also done early on is I realized that just the guitar and just my voice, while I could do it, it wasn't fun. And I think fun is a really, really important factor. I almost insist that gigs that I do be fun, and if they aren't fun, I don't want to do them. Life's too short to do something that you don't really enjoy, whether it's your full-time job or not. And so fun was an important factor, and I needed to enjoy myself, but I needed to hear what I wanted to hear. Having played in bands, my first big professional band at one point had 10 musicians in it, including a five-piece horn section, two keyboards, and this was 1975, so I was used to hearing a big, full sound. I couldn't get that with just a guitar and just a vocal. That, again, this is just my experience, and I'm not going to dwell on my story too much after this lesson uh, or after this podcast, but the idea is to let everybody kind of get an idea where I'm coming from. And then, as I said, as we profile some of my friends and some other folks that are also very experienced at this and very successful at it, you may find that their, their modus operandi is different, and that's fine. One of the great things about being a solo performer is there's not just one way up a mountain. I decided early on that I wanted to have tracks behind me. So in the 90s, I was using uh, MIDI tracks, and those worked pretty well. I got to a point, however, later on that I wanted to hear more, and so I moved into doing digital. Um, I used Logic on a Macintosh computer for some time, and together with some other little things, which we made divulge later, have helped me to get to a point where my performances often sound just like the record. I've had clients that tell me that you sound just like the record or sound better than the record, which is really very kind of them. But the idea behind it, as I said, for myself, in order to feel comfortable as a solo performer, I had to hear other instruments behind me. So with Logic Pro, I'm recording my own, uh, my own parts, uh, electric and acoustic guitars. On the country tunes, there's pedal steel and m- mandolin. Um, I even do my own background vocals, and uh, we'll get to talk with one of my friends named Larry Barnett, who was the one that pointed that out to me several years ago, and that's made me a lot of money over the years. So regardless of your approach, these are some of the things that I have done. So when I go out and perform my shows, whether it's just the acoustic guitar and my vocal microphone and my tracks played off my iPhone or iPad, uh, into either a, a smaller Fishman artist solo amp, which works great for shows for less than 70 or 80 people, and then a bigger system, which is currently an Electro Voice Evolve 30 system. That allows me to get what we're doing out, and it sounds good, and it's not overpowering. 
I had back problems because I carried Hammond B3 organs and big, uh, big PA racks and speakers uh, with those bands in the 70s and 80s, 90s. So my low back isn't as good as it used to be. So I have to be careful to carry stuff that I can physically uh, uh, do. So that's kind of my story. Let's talk about why you might want to do this. Maybe you're a piano teacher. Heck, maybe you could be male or female. doesn't matter. You could be a piano teacher that decides, you know what? I could go out and play at a restaurant on a Thursday night and make an extra 50, 100, 200 bucks or more. And there are a lot of restaurants in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we're based or all across the nation that would love to have a piano player that can sit down and bring some ambiance to a place that might otherwise not have it. You might be a sax player or a trumpet player or another instrument that's a solo instrument that might also have to use tracks. Uh, And you can go out and play and make a lot of money doing that. You could be an acoustic guitar player that just wants to play acoustic guitar and sing. You might want to cover original, you might want to do original material or covers. It really doesn't matter. I think the big thing is you need to find not just your why, why do you want to do this, but what specifically would you like to do? Let me talk about schooling and background for just a moment. As I said, I was self-taught for many, many years. When I was 27 years of age, my fiance, who's now my wife, and I moved to Los Angeles, California in 1983 so I could attend what at the time was called the Guitar Institute of Technology, or GIT. They've now changed the name to Musicians Institute. And so I've got a lot of training, which helped me as a guitar teacher and bass teacher, and it has helped my guitar playing. But I will say this, if you feel like you need to be a virtuoso, stop. That is not necessary. There was a guy that I saw with a friend of mine, and we were researching putting together a solo act probably 30 years ago in North Carolina, a guy named Jerry Ligon. And I think this guy's, his moniker was Foghorn Ligon. And we went into a a restaurant, and this guy had a big glass, like a, a big glass drink jar, probably one that's, you know, like a foot tall, just dollar, five and, and ten and dollar bills just flowing out of this thing. And this guy, frankly, was not a great singer and was not a great guitar player. But he got the whole place misbehaving like a bunch of kindergartners who was left without a teacher. Um, he was doing a great job. And I realized when I saw Jerry perform, I don't have to be the greatest guitarist. I don't have to be the greatest singer. I don't have to be the greatest anything. What I do have to do is I have to be myself and I have to do the very best that I possibly can helping people have a good time. In my show, I do a lot of older tunes. I do 60s, 70s, 80s. We do some 90s and some 2000s era tunes, but I do a lot of tunes from a lot of different eras. And it's interesting because when I watch people as I perform these songs, you can see them. They'll get a smile on their face or they'll start grinning. And they've been immediately transported somewhere. So I've been able to do something that just listening to a record might not do. And that's one of the things that I enjoyed about this. As I said, when I saw Jerry Ligon perform, he was obviously doing a wonderful job connecting with the audience. And I think that's probably a great thing. Now, what if you're an introvert and you really don't like doing that? Well, if you play, for example, solo piano or solo saxophone, you could just play in a corner of a restaurant. There's a sax player here in Frisco, and I don't know his name because he pops in from time to time, who sets up in the parking lot of a Sprouts grocery store. He's got tracks. He's got a battery-powered something, sort of little Roland amplifier in place, sax against his. 
The guy's got wonderful tone. He's a great musician. He doesn't even have a microphone to talk to people. He sits out there and plays and makes tips and does well. So almost however you can dream it up and however you can design it, you can do your own solo act. If you study other successful solo performers, you can be successful too. For example, I mentioned earlier that I am on what used to be Gig Masters. It's now called The Bash and Gig Sal. Those are two of the big national booking agents that do so online. Um, the Bash is headquartered in Connecticut, while Gig Salad is headquartered in Springfield, Missouri, I think it is. Anyway, um, there was a guy named Matthew Cotillo years and years ago who was doing very, very well on the on uh, Gig Masters again at the time. And he was basically just a solo guitar player singer. I don't think he was taking tracks out. He did so well that he was the number one guitarist vocalist on Gig Masters, The Bash, for three or four years. And what was interesting is that he actually wrote an ebook that you could get and download and read on Amazon about how he did what he did. Uh, David Payton, who is another guy that we'll talk to at some point here, uh, who does the same thing in Atlanta, said he had gotten uh, Matthew's book and used it, and David ended up being the number one solo one-man band guy across the nation for many years on The Bash. And uh, David is still a very successful guy, very, very busy. Um, the last couple of months I've seen his, his shows, he's probably playing more than 20 shows a month as a solo performer. And we'll have a chance to talk to David and find out about all that as well. But what I think would be a great idea if you're interested in pursuing a solo career or you already have is to sit down and write out on a piece of paper what you want that to look like. What does success look like to you? If you played one show a month, is that success? Do you have to perform four nights a week at a restaurant, maybe doing a piano bar or something like that to be successful? Uh, are you willing to travel? And we'll talk to all my buddies about that, about travel and about how to do that. I just did a show last week in Amarillo, Texas, which is over 300 miles one way from my home. I played not only this entire state of Texas, we played Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, I played a lot of states, and I'm happy to go, but it, it costs clients money if they're willing to pay. I'm happy to travel. So, uh, again, travel is just part of the thing. But what is important to do in the very beginning is to write down on a piece of paper, learn to think on paper. Um, one of the other things we'll talk about here are some success principles and some people who you can listen to their podcasts or read books about that will help you to create what success looks like for you and to actually go out and actualize that and do that. You know, I tell my guitar students when they start lessons with me, I ask them to think and to dream a little bit about what they'd like to do if they become a good guitar player in five years, 10 years, 20 years. I tell my students at our very first lesson, I had no clue when I was 10 years of age that I would look back on my career and say that I played professionally for over 50 years that I taught guitar for nearly 40 years, that I'd written about it in several music magazines, that I'd had an opportunity to publish a book called Guitar Made Simpler, which is the name of our music webpage, I would have laughed them until I was crying probably because I couldn't see that. But at 10 years of age, I wasn't taught success principles. I'd never heard of a Napoleon Hill Think and Grow Rich or the Dale Carnegie How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those weren't part of my vocabulary at age 10. Those are two books, by the way, if you haven't read, I can't recommend too highly. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and 
How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. If you haven't got those books, I suggest buying them and reading them regularly. But the idea behind this, again, is to learn to think on paper. Think about what your solo act would would look like. And once you've done that, then that's going to give you an idea of what the next step is. Um, I think it's really important to to do what uh, Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, another great book I recommend, one of his seven habits is to begin with the end in mind. And so what you could do is think about where you would like your solo act to be in six months or a year or five years or 10 years. How long do you want to perform? Um, what does that look like to you? Where would you like to play? Where will you get gigs? How are you going to do that? Are you going to do this, you know, with, with tracks like I've done? Are you going to do it without tracks? Are you going to kick a drum machine on and off? There's several different ways to do that. And as I said, as we go through this process and pull some of the other folks that I know do this, everybody's going to have a different route up the mountain. It doesn't have to be like anybody else, but start learning from other people and take tips from them. Now, one of the things that I said at the beginning of this is that I want what we do to be actionable. So we're not going to make this a very long episode. Some of the episodes are going to go longer, particularly as we get into talking with our friends about this and and get their input about things. But I have one actionable item that you can do today, and that is record yourself playing something solo. That's one of the most important things that you can do. I'm also a big fan of Brian Tracy, the success author narrator. And if you've not listened to Brian Tracy or watched any of his videos, then you're missing a treat. One of the things Brian Tracy tells salespeople is to record your sales presentations and afterwards go back and listen and ask yourself two things. Number one, what did I do right? And number two, what could I do differently or what should I do differently next time? One of the great things about recording yourself playing something, again, if you're a singer and you're going to sing with tracks or a sax player or a guitar player that sings or a piano player playing solo, early on, you may think find things about your playing that you don't care for. That's okay. It's absolutely okay. I record my shows to this day and find things that need to be tweaked, or I need to do this, or I should put this song in a different key, or that guitar part is not loud enough. I need to adjust that when I remix it. But the idea is to start recording yourself. Once you sound good, That's going to help give you the confidence to put yourself out there as a solo performer. It's going to give you the confidence to approach other people about performing for them. And confidence breeds and begets confidence. It's one of the most important things you can have as a solo musician. I've mentioned some people to read or watch or study about on this, and I think it's very important. We'll talk about later the mind as it relates to being a solo performer. If you're scared of your own shadow, you're not going to have any success as a solo performer. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be overbearing. And you don't have to be loud and obnoxious. But you do have to have a belief in yourself and a belief that what you do is going to bring joy and happiness to someone else. And as you learn that belief and reinforce that belief in yourself, and of course, as you perform for people and they applaud or give you tips or hire you back, you're going to develop a self-confidence that can't be taken away. And I think that's really, really important. So the actionable item at the end of this first episode is record yourself playing something solo. Uh, If you feel like it, you can record several pieces, but record yourself playing two or three pieces. If you don't have two or three pieces, 
Think about what your repertoire might be as a solo performer. Repertoire, of course, is a fancy French term for what's the material? What are you going to do? What songs are you going to play? Songs have been very, very important to me. I bring almost 250 songs on a show right now, and I'm able to play those songs, especially and sing the tunes, without a lyric sheet. That's been a a gift that I was given, I guess, and and I'm grateful for that. But start thinking about repertoire, what, what you'd like to do, and record yourself playing two or three of those things. If you'd like, send them to me. I'd be happy to listen and maybe give you some suggestions. But the idea, as I said, is start getting into the habit of recording yourself. If you do this, this is going to help you get from where you are to where you'd like to be. That's it for today. You've been listening to the Band of One podcast. I'm Riley Wilson, and thanks for joining us. If you have ideas for upcoming episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us at your convenience, and you can also contact me directly at www.guitarmadesimpler.com. See you next time.